Welcome to today's episode of the Ideonomics podcast, where we talk about inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, and anti-racism in the Canadian public service. I'm your co-host, Neha Shizad Chandarajan, joining you from Ottawa, which is the land of the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe peoples. And I'm Sean Karmali, joining you from Toronto, which is traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. Today on the podcast, uh, we have joining us Jennifer Hong. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hi, Jennifer. Is Jen okay? Yes, perfect. Okay, great. Uh, Jen, maybe you just want to describe for your listeners um, what you do, where you are in the public service. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm currently a policy analyst with the Canadian Forest Service. I work on a team called the Bioeconomy Supply Chain Economics Team. Um, But what we do is look at uh, different ways that we can enable the circular economy uh, through using forest materials that are sustainably uh, harvested um, Mm -hmm. and managed. Um, so we find ways to support, you know, the net zero goals that the federal government has uh, committed to um, by kind of replacing fossil fuel intensive materials with wood. Um, so that's a bit of what I do for the Canadian Forest Service. I am also the uh, co-chair of the Biz Minorities Advisory Council here at NRCAN. Um, so essentially what that means is that I work with a team of um, really awesome execs all throughout NRCAN to support um, issues related to equity, diversity, and inclusion and accessibility uh, for those um, within NRCAN that identifies being of this minority. And so we look at different ways to increase uh, professional development opportunities and building community in general, um, and also raising awareness to different issues that affect members in this community to senior management. That's great. Jen and I work uh, work in Anarchan together, so I've uh, seen her virtually around. You do some great work here. <laughs> um, and I just saw uh, in our newsletter that you have um, a new initiative. Is it peer-to-peer networking? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. We actually have a whole suite of fall programming that will be uh, launching very soon. Um, it's something that we've done, I think, for the past like, two to three years now uh, at BMAC, but the peer-to-peer initiative is a program where we basically pair up folks um, around the same level uh, with each other, and they can engage in different activities together, and it's just a way to, again, build that community and build a new connection between someone who maybe you might not uh, have met or worked with uh, normally, maybe in your everyday role, or also because, you know, we're all joining the workplace in a, a bit more of a hybrid environment now. Wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that that's happening. And um, sort of moving into, uh, I mean, this is really a hope that's being realized right now, um, what you're doing there. And just wondering about with that system of having sort of equal pairings and coming together, what other hopes do you have um, for the public service in terms of just like you just mentioned, this wonderful initiative, are there any other things that we can, that you have hope for um, in terms of our growth and, and equity and diversity? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, it's a very big question. <laughs> I think what I'd like to see and what I'd hope for is um, continuing to have a seat at the table, but in a very meaningful way. 
I find that, you know, especially at um, senior levels, things can move very quickly. Um, and they are aware we do have really good relationships with those who are already at the table. But I think really continuing to embed that like questioning, right, of like, oh, you know, who is at this meeting and who is not at this meeting? And can we include them in this meeting, I think is something that I've really wanted to push for. Um, and also, I find to, at least with NRCAN, again, I think we do great work. Um, we have really great technical um, experts in the department. But I just think that sometimes we kind of forget a little bit um, the social implications of things and really thinking about the communities that we're using the science for. Um, or can use the science for. So it would be nice to see more of like a social lens to the science that we do and the decisions that we make related to that as well. Again, I'd say those are the two goals. So just making sure there is like meaningful room and inclusion at the table um, and really considering the people that will be affected uh, by decisions. I'm going to push you just a little bit on that point um, because it reminded me of, you know, just a couple of years ago, I think someone had mentioned this term of, who's not at the table um, when it comes to decision-making or activity building. And I'm wondering if, um, how, like, how does that happen in terms of that social uh, involvement where, where certain people might be missing, but you also want to bring them to the table? Probably a lot, of, I'm assuming a lot of outreach and a lot of maybe. Yeah, I agree. I think really utilizing the networks that we currently have and just talking to people well, I think approaching with curiosity is something that sometimes gets overlooked. I really enjoy getting to know people. I, I mean, also, granted, I'm a bit more of an extrovert, so I, I'm I'm comfortable doing that. But I think there's a lot of good organizations um, and people within them that have a lot to say, right? And so if you if you don't just reach out to them out of curiosity, you might miss that. I think at the same time, you know, you raise a good point. Like we can't possibly speak to every single person. Um, but I think finding common themes for stakeholders and partners is something that we can do. And again, also leveraging the current relationships that we have, right? So that's important too. So really nurturing those relationships and seeing where they can grow. For example, that pops to my mind is like the NRCAN Youth Council that we're looking to develop. I think that will open a whole bunch of doors to different networks on the ground uh, with youth that we haven't um, necessarily had before. Um, and I think that's a great way to kind of get started there. Wonderful. Amazing. You know, VMAC sort of nurtures public servants' own identity and bringing their authentic selves to work. I'm wondering how uh, your understanding of your own identity shaped the choices that you made in your work and what you picked in your career progression. It's funny you ask this because I've actually, I feel like I've only recently started to really reflect and think about, you know, my identity and how that impacts my career. Um, I think it also became very apparent actually during uh, COVID, especially with, you know, anti-Asian sentiment and that uprise in violence, um, especially against Asian women as well. I think that really made me pause and think. I think I'm in a unique position too, because I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Vancouver. I feel you know, quite connected to, to that side of myself, but also connected to some of the more traditional roots. Um, and my family's Vietnamese, so just kind of um, there's some, I think, cultural Asian standards um, and stereotypes uh, and pressures that come with that. I think I've been fortunate enough to be in an environment where I've generally not had to navigate 
uh, too many incidences mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of being put down, but I think they're subtle, right? So it, it just yeah. depends on, I guess, the situation, the context, I think I'll have a presence. So whether that means like keeping my camera on or making sure that I do say the things that I want to say and not being worried about looking like I'm being difficult or mm-hmm. that I'm too young to say these things. Um, is something that uh, plays into my work. I think I've become a lot more conscious too of making boundaries. So Mm. I'm very used to being a a yes person because part of me is very team oriented. I I do really want to help, but I think there's a part of me that's like, it's my identity as as an Asian woman. It's just, I've been raised to, again, not be difficult and do what's asked of you. And so Mm. I think it's about making sure that I remind myself that I'm in a work setting. It's different. You know, I can make my work boundaries clear and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just kind of navigating a bit of, you know, imposter syndrome and working with people who are older than me, I think can sometimes be a little conflicting. Um, Vietnamese culture is very much based on age, respecting your elders. So it's something that, again, I've also learned to kind of just treat everyone on the team as an equal and, uh, you know, push back when I need to. No, I'm glad you're finding those boundaries for sure. I think that's really for a lot of people to hear. I think going to the virtual work setting, a lot of people had trouble with that uh, initially, at least. Yeah, I totally feel you. I don't like for me as a brown woman, thankfully, like I haven't met any incidences of like microaggressions or anything like that, um, which is like a far cry from some of our previous podcast guests. Um, like we just had uh, Deputy Minister Kwan Watson on. And so he was talking about some of the incidences that he heard of before, A, because there wasn't, you know, Asian representation much in the public service when he started in the 80s. Um, but also like a lot of the men would would talk about how they were trying to increase women in management at the time. They were very open to expressing their discontent with that they would be like oh Daniel are you are you sure you want to go to that team because they have a a woman manager there like are you sure I would never want to go there like things like that I think it just uh, it's just indicative of the progress that we've made yeah and you know just hearing you Jen just talk about you know um imposter syndrome and you know just uh being in environments where people don't look like you and that sort of being that environment for imposter syndrome to happen it still happens you know when when you're going into meetings at a at a higher level and at the same time i agree with what you said about treating people you know with that um level of of equality of treating them sort of you know respecting their individual differences and and then moving forward so that really resonated with me i'm curious to know at this point when we move to um your circle your inner circle of friends or colleagues at work what do you tell them or what are you comfortable telling them about government i think a lot of times when i tell people i work for the government they automatically assume that i don't do very much which i think is very funny because i'm the first person to say actually no i've i've done a lot things move quickly things can be slow at times and for certain processes and there's a lot of them obviously but i think there's also a lot of these golden pockets i guess um and room to develop within the government so i actually do talk about that uh with friends who are asking you know i think i have a lot of room actually on my team to be very creative and to try things that i haven't done before um and so you know another thing is i think being in the public service is a very incredible privilege to have it helps me at least to look at things holistically. 
So, you know, I can get really frustrated with those processes that I had mentioned, right? Or um, maybe I'm writing a document that ends up getting tabled. <laughs> so, you know, it is really frustrating, but I think I also have moments where I'll think to myself like, oh, this is nice though, in the sense that I can read forestry papers or, you know, topics that I care about and things that I like and actually get compensated for it. Um, and just do the things that aligned with what I studied. Um, and so I have that moment where I just kind of pull myself out of it a little bit. Um, and I find that that really helps me kind of temper and, and you know, feel more inspired and gain that momentum and purpose again in my work. I think something else we talked about and we touched upon is, you know, building those connections, relationships with people. So I'd say through all the work that I've done so far, like government is both a big and small place, right? Like you'll never mm -hmm. know the connections um, that you'll make and between people as well. So whoever you meet, who they know, just really utilizing those networks and approaching with curiosity um, helps to, you know, again, learn about files that maybe you don't know exist um, or kind of get things moving along as well um, in the files that you're working on. So uh, those would be the two. And then again, I think with VMAC, if we factor that in as well, I, I had a manager once say to me, uh, you know, you need something that keeps your soul on fire or like mm -hmm. a file that oh, keeps like that. things afloat. Yeah, which I, I really like. And it's true, right? Like, I think there will always be things that will be uh, a lot more work and they can be more challenging, but they're also really rewarding. And I find that with VMAC quite a bit. Government's big place. You can find a lot of cool people and files that, that will align with the things that keep your soul on fire. So mm -hmm. that would be things that I would tell my inner circle, I think. Lovely. Thank you. I end up telling people the same things about public service, I find as well. Because I've, again, like, I think this is maybe just a proponent of Enercan, but because like you and I are really interested and in environmental issues, we're like, yeah, no, we mm -hmm. feel like we're doing a good job and making a difference. And uh, from what I've heard, Enercan is one of the more innovative, progressive departments um, when it comes to processes or creatively thinking or anything like that. It's definitely a timing thing. You definitely have to, if you're proposing something creative or out of the box, I found it's, it's you have to find the right timing for a particular thing. Otherwise it's just not gonna happen. Like so many things, as you as you know, we end up taking a U-turn on it. Like you work six months on something and be like, yeah. I didn't wanna do that. I don't wanna do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've had someone tell me too that writing proposals and just keeping them shelf ready is another really good thing to kind of have in your back pocket, you know, so exactly yeah. what you said, right? Like those finding the right time, right? But once you have it, it can really move and things can happen. So Yeah, yeah, just on the fly. Those proposals take so much time though. Yeah. You do so many management approvals yeah. and then it comes back and it's like, okay, we're not going to do this. Thanks. Okay. But yes. <laughs> I do have a project that's going ahead that is a bit more innovative. So I'm very, I'm pretty excited about that. Again, it's a timing thing, uh, but I don't think I could discuss more on that. Um, I was thinking a little bit about like your boundary setting situation and how more and more people are, are or that I've talked to at least have been trying to find their way in that, like how to set boundaries and be like, I can't be doing this. And um, I wonder how people perceive us setting boundaries within like the quiet quitting context for it. So for those who don't know, quiet quitting is like this notion that has come up recently, or at least this year of people 
employees who are, I guess, not going above and beyond their duties, like just kind of doing what they should and then leaving it and not and not taking that ambitious approach that that we, I guess, typically do. Um, so just what are your thoughts on that? Like I mentioned, I guess I'm still sorting out, you know, making boundaries. And mm-hmm. I think, again, right, when we bring in identity, like for me, I was always raised to just work hard. And I oh, yeah. only, yeah, my parents had a small business oh, yeah. and I only saw them work from like, I want to say 7 a.m. to midnight every day. Mm-hmm. And they never mm-hmm. took a break. I think it's always important to set those boundaries and have that moment where you realize that the work we do is important, but it also is not life-threatening, for example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, no one is going to die if that note takes one extra yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we really need to think about the ways that we operate in terms of how we use the word like urgent, for example. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, right? Or again, like finding ways that will just make things more efficient. And I think people say that a lot, but there's mm-hmm. there's this, it seems to be like a a struggle between process and efficiency that mm-hmm. we just can't get over. Um, yeah. And you also have to factor in, right? Like people who have worked in the public service or their families have worked in the public service for years or decades. And you can't just break that in a day or change that at all, right? And, or, mm-hmm. or quickly. But that's something that's for me, right? It's not necessarily something that I'm doing because, oh, HR has deemed this a corporate commitment. That's not what it's about for me. It's about, you know, people um, and doing what I enjoy doing. So I think that's kind of the way that I approach it. Um, mm-hmm. But it is always nice, I will say, with the hybrid environment to just close the laptop at the di- at the end of the day and just say, I'm done for the day and whatever happens, we'll just wait till tomorrow. You know what? I never really had that problem. <laughs> um, people were always like, oh, like, I don't know, like, how to stop working. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I never look at my work phone after five o'clock since the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, and it's off. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> And yeah, I completely agree with you. It's interesting that the, like, I was interested in sort of like the psychology of the term uh, quiet quitting, because what it ends up sounding like is it's like, it sounds like your employee is is just doing what they were hired to do. What more were you asking for, really? And perhaps they were taking people who were like really ambitious, like us in this little circle here and, and comparing to that being like, well, you used to do all these things, but it comes with a recognition that that kind of mentality has to change. And thankfully, like I haven't seen that mentality like here in the public service for at least for my teams. Everyone is fairly like very good with saying, you guys did a lot of work this week. So I'm grateful for that here, but I don't know if that's the case across across different departments or how that's how that's working out. I wonder too, if it's like unspoken expectations, right? Like mm-hmm. my teams have always been very clear, you know, again, like you're not expected to do more than you need to, right? And being very clear about tasks and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. helped a lot. But I could imagine if someone had these pressures on them that were unspoken or, you know, you have other really high performing, high achieving colleagues that you feel some type of pressure that way. Mm-hmm. I see it a lot in the EDI groups because like, I know Sean, you've probably seen this, eh? Me and Sean like are in a bunch of different EDI groups just all over government and within Enercan. And you end up seeing the same people 
in yeah, those yeah. groups and do it like shouldering a lot of the work. So yeah, we definitely can see like, okay, these are, I could see the ambitious people, not just the ambitious people, but the ones who are like, I feel like I need to take this on and continue holding the torch. But I know I've had to scale back on some of the stuff that I did before. Cause I just can't. It's yeah. Funny. Same here. I mean, I'd say that, you know, just in terms of I think I've gotten better. I think I resonate with you, Jen, about the idea that, you know, the the difficulty in saying no to things is is so ever present. It's ingrained. It's almost like it's part of me. But I think through the pandemic, what what I've learned at least is um, being able to communicate where I am and where I'm going with I statements. I know we always refer to I statements, but saying I am working on this. And I, I plan, as opposed to using will, I'll say I plan to work on this. And so it's a little bit softer on the self mm -hmm. um, because w will is such a strong term. And I almost feel like it's, as soon as it's uttered, it's it's a it's a strong kind of thing. But um, just thinking about boundaries and, and these sort of uh, ideas, uh, it's really um, thought provoking, I guess, to want to know maybe a little bit more now about what are we kind of... Um, what are we reading? What are we looking at? And one of the questions that we often ask our guests, uh, we did ask um, Deputy Minister Quan Watson about this, um, about what's, you know, what what favorite book do you have? Or perhaps something like, you know, what book do you recommend today um, that might have informed your healthy boundaries or 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 another book? It could have been, you know, anything. But um, we're, we're always curious to know. Some people give a top five or a top three. Um, so, um, Feel free to feel free to share. I think the book that has inspired me, I, I, it's not necessarily about boundaries, but I think it's about identity. Uh, so it's called Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. Uh, mm -hmm. She's a, a Korean American author. Uh, and this book, uh, it's a decently quick read. It's about like 200 pages or so. And it's basically a collection of her essays um, thinking about identity from growing up as a teenager, high school times, uh, and immigrating to the U.S. Uh, from Korea with mm. her family. It's about language, being a woman, mm -hmm. uh, also about being in the arts as an Asian American person, I think is really interesting. She talks a lot about uh, film and comedy, actually, and kind of how like American film positions, you know, minorities in general. So I think it's a very interesting read. Uh, it made me think a lot, again, about my identity. And I actually wrote, like, I would underline things that she wrote. And I sent it on to my other friend who uh, is also Asian American in the States. So I, I just thought it was a really nice way to kind of connect others across uh, mm. the country. So it was, it was really cool. So I'd say that one is one of my faves. And then in terms of like, kind of a bit more like forestry oriented, I would say the, um, the Golden Spruce is also one of my favorite books. So it's uh, basically kind of like a historical nonfiction slash fiction retelling of uh, the Golden Spruce, which is a tree that uh, has a lot of indigenous significance um, on Vancouver Island. I just think it's a very interesting insight into the logging industry, the Canadian culture behind that, and Indigenous culture as well, and, and storytelling, which is another big uh, passion area of mine. That's really cool. I haven't heard about the golden spruce. I've heard about, I have actually, braiding sweetgrass. Yeah. I haven't mm -hmm. heard the golden spruce one. I should, uh, I should look at that. Were there any others? I think those are my top two for now. I have a bad habit of kind of half reading books and then getting distracted by a new book. Here. So, <laughs> yeah. I think that's just everyone lately. 
<laughs> Apparently, there's this new uh, software called Blink Blinkist, where you can get like summaries of books um, packaged up into sort of like a, a one-page kind of thing. I mean, it kind of feels a little bit sad to do that because we're in that we're in a work world kind of situation where we want mm -hmm. things to be sort of transactional. But I heard about that. But I did also hear about Golden Spruce, and just kind of serendipitously, I was I was going for a walk this past weekend in Ottawa, and I. I was walking in the Glebe and I noticed someone had put up a, a little letter on a tree. It was a eight-year-old girl who wrote a letter to this tree and she called it Grandmother Tree. And she says, Dear Grandmother Tree, I know that you're going to be eventually going away, but I wanted to let you know how much you've done for my family. And I'm just thinking, I'm left here thinking, wow, like that's just heartwarming. That's just okay. Trees are so important yeah so i'm so really i'm gonna look forward to reading uh, golden spruce thank you so much for sharing those titles can you take a picture of that next time the little, little grandmother tree letter I, if you find it i have it I oh have okay it. send it to you okay send it to us i'd love to post that out that's so sweet absolutely um, if you like trees jen have you i mean obviously you like trees have you read the secret life of trees it's like all about how forests talk to each other and trees yeah. help each other out and yeah, it's a great book. Actually, my one of my professors at the Faculty of Forestry, she's uh, cited in that book, and she did a lot of research as well on like the mother tree concept. Actually, That's she true. has her own book. Um, it's called Finding the Mother Tree. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the Secret Life of Trees is written in a way where it's very like digestible for people who haven't oh, explored that world yet. It's very like strong on narrative, and it really. Uh, provides a bit more of like a human perspective so yeah it's a great mm -hmm. book and it's a quick read as well uh, which I really like so yeah I'm trying to think of what else but usually when I'm in the bookstore I'm a big like I'll have a whole section of um, nature books that I try to look at and then I and then I look at like the Asian uh, authors and then the other BIPOC authors and stuff like that too so mm -hmm. long list yeah, for sure <laughs> what I was gonna ask you Jen since we were talking about books and stuff are there any shows that you've been watching that have really caught your eye yeah I'm, I'm actually a very big tv show movie nerd uh so I've finally had the chance to sit down and catch up on House of Dragons which is the prequel yeah. to Game of Thrones mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. that show I think it's done so beautifully the storyline is great and it's it's so entertaining it's definitely gory I can't watch more than two episodes back to back I think yeah. uh, but love that one I also love their behind the scenes like they do a 30 minute um, follow-up per episode too to explain like this the symbolism and costumes sets and things like that which is always really interesting or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Parks and Rec but with school teachers and it's mm -hmm. a commentary about the U.S. education system Mm -hmm. um I think is it's amazing it's such a funny show packs a lot within 30 minutes I think it made me cry and laugh within the first episode <laughs> uh so that hooked me which was awesome um and then uh yeah I think I follow again other shows like in bits and pieces when I can so I was watching some I was trying out Apple TV so I tried oh, yeah Severance, which was also very good if people are into like thrillers yes yeah or like mysteries um and it's kind of funny it's about office workers who kind of um agree to have a chip implanted into their brain to only focus on work when they're in the workplace and then forget about it as soon as they leave uh but there's more to it than that so <laughs> um yeah I would say those are the three that are my on my radar right now oh that's awesome that's great all three of those 
are fantastic. And I hear like Severance is slated to win so many awards just because of the the weird thought experiment that it is. Yeah, exactly. No, amazing. And I love in, how in House of Dragons and most of the fantasy genres now that they've um, they've like broken that like, oh, it needs to be like white people only situation, especially with Game of Thrones. Like it's fantasy. You can bring in black yes. people, brown people and Asian people. And I saw that in Rings of Power too. So I was very happy about oh. that. I was just going to ask about Rings of Power. Is anyone not watching that? Because I love no, that show. <laughs> um, I only watched episode one, though. And I have to continue with the rest of it. But I was more taken by House of Dragon, I think. I just yeah. watched the recent episode last night, which was um, very cool. The last few minutes were very cool. I'm not going to give any spoilers. But yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. Um, well, thank you, Jen, for doing this with us. Again, it's a thank pleasure you, to have you. We'd love to yeah. have you again and touch base um, and please share uh, all of the new things that VMAC is doing um, because we love to hear about all of that. Go ahead, John. I, ha I have one question. Because you're part of the Visible Minority Advisory Council at NRCAN and StatCAN has a Visible Minority Consultative Group, similar kind mm -hmm. of circles, if you will. Um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to have like, like maybe some sort of connection at some point with these sort of intra you know, um, yeah. circles and see where things kind of move because that just dawned on me right now. And I was thinking, you know, why not uh, unveil the curtain? Yes. <laughs> you know, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I would love that. I think that's something that I've wanted to do again, sometimes short of capacity, but um, yeah. working with all the other Visman networks across uh, the government is great. Yeah, I'd very much welcome that conversation. So feel free, like we can do it over a podcast or just a normal meeting, but happy to. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, Amazing. we'll talk about that. Making connections. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, so we'll follow up with you on that. Um, I'll ask Sean to do that since you're at StatsCan, Sean. Uh, but thanks again, Jen. And I hope you have a, a great week. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for having me. I had a lovely time chatting. Um, and I'm uh, excited to see what else comes for the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ideanomics podcast. We hope it was enjoyable for you as it was for us. For more anti-racism news, please follow us on our social media channels on Twitter, Iran Network underscore PS, and our LinkedIn, Anti-Racism Ambassadors Network. If you'd like us to discuss any topics on the podcast, or if you have any questions for us, please DM us on our social channels or email us at aran.publicservants at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.